pray together. Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life in which your Son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Well, I know that it's not yet even Christmas, but how many of you have already started making plans for summer vacation? Any of you? A lot of times, people will plan these summer vacations out well in advance. Thinking in your own terms, would you plan for your summer vacation differently than you would an average work trip or, say, an average weekend away? Chances are good that answer is yes. You plan for more. You plan it further in advance. You plan for more uh, details for it. A lot of times because you have more invested, but there is also more of an expectation. The people who do this, they're willing to invest because they have an expect expectation of return on that investment. They expect to invest so that they can ex- have experiences, so that they can have rejuvenation, so that they can have um, memories which you, you go to these places and you make these memories and they can last forever. So a lot of people are willing to invest more, more in time and money in such a, uh, like a week's vacation for the summer than they would in your average weekend. But they want to do that so they get more out of it. Those Anglicans, we tell time differently. We do a lot of things differently than, than some of us are used to. Um, Hence our introduction into our service thus far. And it needed to be introduced because it's strange to most of us. But we, we tell time differently than the rest of the world. Our year begins today. This is the new year for the Christian calendar. Today is the first day of that year. And we find ourselves, as we experience this calendar, we find ourselves exp- uh, immersed in the ryth- rhythms of life and worship that help mold and reshape us to become different people than the world had formed us into. We tell time by the way of Christ's birth, his life, his ministry, his uh, death, burial, and resurrection, and the giving of the Holy Spirit, his ascension, etc. Our calendar is rather uh, Christocentric or Christ-centered. We have two major feast days or holidays in the calendar, Christmas and Easter. There are a lot of feast days. There are a lot of holidays that we recognize. There are two major ones, Christmas and Easter. And they are both so important that we uh, preface each one of those with time of preparation. We prepare ourselves in taking this time to get all we can out of that feast day or that holiday, to get all we can out of Christmas. The season of Advent is marked with hope and expectation. As we remember Christ's first Advent, that means his coming, that he came, he he descended from heaven into earth to become, take on flesh, become one of us. So we we recognize this as his first Advent, but we anticipate also his second coming. That's the second Advent, his return. It is a solemn time where we are to consider our need for a Savior. We consider our sin and our brokenness and prayerfully wait for the coming of our Savior who will put all things right. So we look in expectation. Our first lesson of the season 
As we step away from the Gospel of Luke, we focus our time on preparation between these two Advents. Today we consider what we are to do to prepare for His second coming. What are we to do to prepare for His return? The Lord knows our brokenness. The Lord knows our hurts. He knows our sufferings. He knows our sin, yet He enters into our brokenness. He enters into our broken world and takes us out of the darkness and into the light. He's given us, then, His Word so that we have something to base His truth on. What What is truth? Well, it's what God says it is. It is not for each to decide. God has given us His Word. He has given us His truth. So He comes into our darkness and chaos and brings light and brings His Word. It's with that Word that He shapes and molds us to live for Him and die to the world. We celebrate His birth because of His plan to die on the cross and pay for our sins and suffer the Father's wrath in our stead. We know that in this coming of the Savior as uh, as a baby, as a human, we have something to look forward to, that there's a making right with God, our Creator. And in reconciling us back with the Father, that's making us right, we then have new want-tos. That, that's, that's my, this is, this is my Sally language here. We have new want-tos. He's changed what we want to do. With our renewed hearts, we no longer desire to be the kings or queens of our own hearts, but we gladly submit to Him, and now we want to follow His ways and keep His laws. We don't do this to earn His love, but we do this in response to the love which He set upon us. We recognize the undeserved nature of this amazing grace, and we live in response to that grace. So what our lesson is going to show us today is that we are to prepare for his return by keeping the law, by loving our neighbor, and loving Christ. So the first thing we're going to look at is we practice submission by loving our neighbor. I just So we're already into... There's a, there ought to be some sort of shock value in coming into uh, this room to worship this king compared to what holiday has been launched upon us since Thanksgiving in the world. It's different. So in keeping with the difference and making it even more different, the subject of submission, this is not, there's not one in here. I'll speak for you. There's not one in here who wants to hear about how it is we're to submit. We don't like that. The world has shaped and molded us to the point where we think we should not have to submit. The world has told us that this word is a bad word. We avoid it at all costs. So just for weirdness sake, we're going to look at this as we're preparing for his return, as we're responding to this overwhelming grace of God, we're going to look through this context of submission. Well, plus, I think that's what the text says. Let's look with me in verse 8. Verse 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we, we began this service with the summary of the law given by Jesus. And he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. These two go together, but they're intricately connected. 
There is a direct correlation to the way we treat others and our love for God. There is a direct correlation to the way we treat others and our love for God. We have a problem. The Lord tells us to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind, and love our neighbors as ourselves, but we can't do that. He is asking us for an impossible task. Because of our sin, because of our brokenness, we have been turned in on ourselves. We are a self-consumed people. Of the Ten Commandments, the first table of the law, as we talk about it, those are commandments one through four. Those have to do with our relationship with God. And then the second commandment, those uh, second table, the commandments five through ten, they have to do with how we treat others. And so it's in, in the cross gives us a perfect image of this. So we have this um, vertical aspect, which should come first in how we recognize and love God. And with that then, how will we love others. These are those moral laws which everybody, these are, these are universal. A lot of people want to talk about things in the Bible and how they expire and what's applicable to us today, but these are the moral laws which have existed for all time, for all people, for all places, everywhere. They're the laws that are written on our hearts. In order for us to keep that second table, that table to love others, we must first be reconciled to God. We, we can't really practice the love toward others until we've received the love from God. And it, I, think, I think if you just think on that one, you'd agree with me pretty quickly. Because people, a lot of people, not you people, a lot of people are unlovable. When you meet them, you don't like them. Yet you're called to love them. Well, how do you do that in your own strength? And the reality is, is you can't. And so... We have to have this vertical response. We have to we have to respond and love others like Christ has loved us. We have to be willing to submit to his ways. And we won't, don't want to do that in our natural state. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than the ways, that, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We don't think like the Lord. If we thought like the Lord, we wouldn't need a Savior. If we could love like the Lord, we wouldn't need a Savior. If we could follow our own path, finding our own truth inside of us, which is what the world suggests we do, that was okay and good, then we wouldn't need a Savior. We wouldn't need it corrected. We'd all be heading in the same direction, right to God. He says that's not the way it works. He says we're a broken people. But beautifully... He enters our brokenness and brings correction. He doesn't yell at us and tell us to fix ourselves. He comes to be a part of this. We need to back up a tad and understand this passage that we're in, in this Romans 8 through 14, comes to us as Paul is talking about how we are to submit to authority. We are submit to, to submit to and obey all authority. And, this, and again, this, I, this is why I say this is not particularly pleasing and when you, and I would encourage you to back up and read 13, 1 through 7, so that you get caught up to where we are in 8. But the reality behind this is we're supposed to actually submit and obey our parents. We're to submit and obey our teachers. We're to submit and obey the police officers, anybody that's in authority over us. Why? Because that authority has been put in place, the Bible says, by God. Even the government with whom we can disagree 
about a lot of things. The ones who make the laws, they've been put in authority over us because of God's doing, because of His sovereign hand. As we do wrong, we receive the punishment that the government doles out to us because they are agents of God. And they are put over us to mold us and shape us. All of this submission leads to this one ultimate submission, which is submitting to Him. So that we will have a desire to apply the law in our lives. We are to submit because, or not because, we are to submit through loving our neighbors. Verse 10 says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So what, what does the fulfilling of the law, what, through, through love, what does that look like? Uh, my mentor, Keith Allen, he says this. He said, when we, when we love like Jesus loved us, he says, love is doing what is right and best for another in a way which is sacrificial and unconditional. Love is doing what is right and best for another in a way which is sacrificial and unconditional. You see, that's the way that God loved us. He loved us for what was best for us in a way that was unconditional and sacrificial. And that's more than we can do in our own strength. We would, I, we would like to do this. Okay, I get the concept. I want to do it. But we need to have that vertical love for Christ in order to help us love like that. So the second thing we're going to look at is we practice submission by loving Christ. And let me just... Let me take a, a side on, on verse 8 where it says, Oh, no one anything. So there's been much ado made out of that where, therefore, if you're a believer, you should never borrow money. Because that's, that's surely what that means. That's not really what this context, we haven't, we've been, we're not, we're not talking about money. The oh, no one anything would be, you, you're, you're, you're giving of yourself in such a way that you're building relationships. You're, that's the kind of owing. It's about relationships. This is not about a stewardship thing. It's not about money. There are other places in the Bible that commend get it. We just last week we talked about getting money, getting interest on money. So that I just think that uh, I just thought I'd throw that out there. As I read, this was discussed at length. I'm like, mercy. I just don't even think that's what this is about. And it's not. How do we practice submission by loving Christ? Verse 11 says, besides this, you know, the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. You know the time, it says. Yet we heard in our gospel reading that no one knows the time of Christ's return. There are certain signs of depravity and how depravity can, will continue to grow as things will get darker. And we can see signs of this in our own time. I'm all in agreement with that. But every civilization, every great civilization that has ever uh, existed... Prior to its fall, which there are all kinds of great civilizations which have fallen, they've experienced this kind of time where things grow darker. Yet, we are still here. We didn't get wiped out. Christ didn't come in 70 AD when Jerusalem got wiped out. As Rome fell, Christ didn't come back. If we were living in those times, I'm sure we would have thought, we're seeing the signs of these times which he has said we are to look for. We think we're seeing these sometimes in our current time. And I think sometimes we do that because we see things through the lens of me. And so this is where I live. This is how Jesus is going to work and act because this is how I understand. Because I'm reading and thinking through my particular context. That's why I think it was great for us a couple weeks ago to have my friend Ephraim from Rwanda here. 
to help us think in a different context. And you know, Christianity continues to die in Europe, continues to die here. But in Africa, it continues to thrive. South America continues to thrive. Okay, America may go down the chute, just like some of those great civilizations have. And we may see things getting worse. The only solace I can give is every day we're here, we're closer to his return than the day before. Some people don't like that solace, but I, I think that that's what actually the scripture says, that we're closer now to that day of redemption than we ever were. Well, every day that goes by, we're closer and closer. But the reality is, I don't think we need to be too hung up on when he's coming back to understand the importance of this lesson. Because what he's saying is, what are you doing? How is the Lord going to find you stewarding, living your life for him as he returns? Because the reality is that some of us could meet him today. The Lord could come back today, but we might not make it home. We could easily be in a car wreck and get wiped out. How will the Lord find you living for him and stewarding what this grace he's given you upon your entrance or exit, let's say, of this world? I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to pretend that as we're exiting this world, we will be with him. If you are a believer, that is true. Yes. But if you don't know the Lord Jesus, then you perish. And that's the fear that this puts into us as we understand that Christ's going to come back. If I'm a non-believer, if I don't believe in Jesus, if I have not trusted him for my salvation, this should put fear and trembling into us. But what I'm here to say is we should have fear and trembling today. We should have fear and trembling today and every day when we don't trust him. Because there is one who is higher than you are. That's our Lord Jesus. We've got a God who created us and he gave us his word it is far superior to what it is you think. And that's just called submission. We, we submit to his thinking. To, we submit to his ways. We submit to what he says. We take the word of God and we have it conform our lives to it. We don't decide we're going to live this way. So let's take the word of God and change it to modify it so that it conform, conforms to our image. Through submission to Christ, we will live for him. Verse 12 says, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Uh, Sometimes uh, I can be guilty of stressing the doctrine of justification too much. And I mean that because if I spend too much time on justification, I don't spend enough time on sanctification. And and now that I've thrown out these big words, what what the heck do they mean? I want people to know that you cannot work your way to God. This is not something you conjure up in yourself to to garner his love and acceptance of you. You either have it or you don't. God loved you while you were an enemy of his. You despise, this is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. You despise the things of God. It's not like you cherished them and you just weren't quite following him. No, it says you despised him. Therefore, if you think on your life, is there a time when you were unwilling to submit to him and his leading? Okay, this is describing you and your enmity, your being an enemy of his. But while, here's the good news, while you were an enemy of God, he reached down and plucks you out of that miry clay, takes you out of the darkness and sets you into the wonderful light. He reached into your brokenness. He knows it all. He knows about your brokenness. He knows of your sin. And yet, he sets his love on you. This is a one-way love. It calls you out of darkness and into the light. So you finally come to the point where you recognize your sin and brokenness and then you pour yourself out and you say, here I am, Lord, please save me. It's against you and you only. 
that I have sinned. Lord, save me. It's in this that you were made right with God. That in that, you're recognizing that and trusting that he paid your sin debt and gave you his righteousness. The great exchange. So in response to that love, you live a life according to him, according to his word. It's a, it's a trading of kingship or queenship of your heart. You step off the throne so he can step on. But in this, it takes effort. This living for him is called sanctification. So that first part's justification. It's a one-way love. And it's out of a response to that love that we start and try to live for him. This is not where we sit back and say, okay, Lord, sanctify me, please. No, we can ask, then we participate. We like to say that justification is a work that's 100% done by God. But sanctification is 100% us and 100% God. We, it says here, in verse 12, it says, we are to cast off the works of darkness. Paul says we are to intentionally live sober, chaste lives. Currently, we live in a time in our world where the motto is, if it feels good to you, do it. Paul's saying that we're to live our lives as in the daytime, when it's bright, it's not dark, when people can see what's going on. We're not to be drawn to sexual immorality and sensuality. We're to guard our hearts to help us live for him. The lure of sensuality is hard to resist in a world that places your happiness above all things. I I think this idea is just, again, this is the weirdness coming into this place, leaving the worldly Christmas stuff behind. The lure of sensuality is hard to resist in a world that places your happiness above all things. Many Christians are taught that God is a God who is concerned about your happiness. So when you're ha- when your things when things are not going well in your life, you need to dial up that vending machine kind of God and get what it is you need. And if you would pray for it hard enough, you will get it. It's not what salvation looks like in the Bible at all. He's not really concerned about your happiness. He's concerned about your holiness. He wants you to live for him. Verse 13 says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. There used to be an old country song that said, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. At least at that time, there was a recognition that what she was doing was wrong. That was a long time ago. And what is wrong today is celebrated as right. Chances are good we have participated in some of those kinds of things ourselves. And we can easily, subtly be drawn into these kinds of things. Unless we're awake because we know the time. And just for clarity, sexual immorality is anything to do with sexuality outside of marriage between a man and a woman. So when we get into the what ifs, Pastor, and there can be like, I don't know, a zillion questions. What about this? What about that? What about this? There's your clear definition. And this is not my definition. This is not my message. I'm not yelling at you to submit because I want you to submit to me. This is what the Lord is telling us. This is what the Lord says what sexual intimacy is to look like is between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage for a lifetime. Anything outside of that is sexual immorality. This can be helpful if you're tempted to scan to look for a particular word and not find it and say, oh, this is okay. There'll be lots of words you could look for in our vocabulary today that you won't find in the Bible. But you can't call it okay because we know what sexual immorality is. God has designed 
a way that we are to live. He has given us these directions, these laws, these rules. He has set a way for us, and for us to get the most out of life, we are to live according to His guidance. This seems fairly simple to me, but we have a hard time with that, because we think our happiness is what matters most. Yet He says He will give us full life. He will give us life abundantly if we walk with Him. He says the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I've come that they may have life and life abundantly. Now, what that means is the thief, and and it conjures up images in our house that somebody's coming to our house and stealing our stuff while while we're here. That's not what that's talking about. The thief is the prince and power of the air. That's the devil. And he lures us with things that look good, and they feel good, and they're fun for a short time. Jesus says... I've come that they may have life and life abundantly. He says, I've come to reshape them and form them into my image so that they can get the most out of life. And if they will live according to my command, they will have an abundant life. How do we actively fight the temptations of immorality, impurity, lusts, and desires of the flesh? Well, he gives us the answer in verse 14. Verse 14 says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Paul's using a metaphor of clothing here. So as we are to put off the old man, and then we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is, again, it's not a passive thing. We are active in this. We have to intentionally, we have to intentionally act in order to make this happen. Paul says in order to love one another, we need to love Jesus and build a relationship with him. And we do this through the church and what we call the normal means of grace. We grow that relationship through prayer, through Bible reading, through being uh, under the preaching of the Word. We do this by being a part of the believing community, the church. We receive the sacraments. We receive baptism. We receive Holy Communion. We grow in Him through these things. So this season of Advent lends itself to this very act as we take these next 24 days to prepare ourselves to receive the Savior. We do devotional readings by ourselves and or with our families to help us wait with hope. As we feast on Him, we make no provision for feeding the flesh or feeding our old nature. We put off the old and we put on the new, which is Christ. May the Lord grant you a holy advent, a time of expectation, wonder, beauty, of waiting and hoping. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.